He's an actor who spent most of his life performing in theater, TV, film, and radio. Those of us in Vegas have seen him as a blue man, a clown, Hedwig, a one-man show, and more. He made us laugh at the Second City Improv and Comedy Show. He's a teaching artist for the Disney Musicals and Schools program at the Smith Center for Performing Arts. And he's a performance coach with a mastermind called Express and Connect. He's a lot of things, and he is Marcus Weiss. I'm Aardvark Girl, and this is Business for Self-Employed Creatives. Happy New Year! <laughs> yes! See, yes! then you, you did go into the red right then. So that's that yelling yelling volume we talked about. <laughs> I, it doesn't matter, but that's gold. It doesn't matter if, it, if, if, it's, if it's too much. What's too much? It might touch somebody. So you, you got to keep it. You can't, you, you can't box yourself in. Don't let a technology... You're letting zeros and ones from a computer limit your entire life you don't don't oh it went in the red I, I i gotta cut it it's a computer it's just a thing don't let it stifle your heart <laughs> perfect see see that that helps what i was actually going to say before i started recording is I don't know if you run into this as a performer, like I said, being an introvert before I do anything, even if it's one on one like this, where you and I have known each other forever, it's just a conversation, but I get really nervous and I start flittering. That doesn't happen for you. I imagine as a performer, or are you the performer that gets stage fright anyway, even though you do it all the time? I don't get stage fright per se. If I'm nervous about anything, or if I get any kind of hesitation before I do a performance or before I do, you know, a speech or before I meet somebody, it has, or it may have more to do with doing what the stage manager asked me to do, or the director asked me to do and that kind of a thing. But I have no sort of inherent or sort of vague, foggy uh, fears about, you know, about communication or about expressing myself or about connecting with other people, but that's super common to have a, a nervous thing. I'll tell you something I'm a little trepidatious about right now, is that you're doing a great job looking into your camera. Should I be, but then I can't see, is it okay if I go back and forth between, now I'm looking at Amanda <laughs> and now I'm, what am I looking at now? It's the most awkward thing about recording this way is because that's how it is. If you want to face the camera, you have to look directly in it, but then you can't see the person you're talking to. So I think it's totally normal to go back and forth so I can see you or yes. you have to just do whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Or maybe this is payback from the time when you were performing in every brilliant thing. And you made me be part of the show and come down and be in the middle of everybody and be part of the play, which is way out of my comfort zone. And you made me do it, which I'm grateful for, but maybe this is my payback. I'm going to put you slightly out of your comfort zone. Oh yes, it is. Oh, putting me out of my comfort zone. Woo! It's kind of, did I go into the red right there again? I, w I wasn't looking. I was actually looking at your face this time. So Okay, fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> I, I lit up my face. You know, out of the comfort zone, I went, woo! It kind of like on a, on a roller coaster. Because, you know, there are those, and, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm working on it just like anybody else. There are those who consider being out of your comfort zone to be like a negative thing. And then there's those, and you can sort of train yourself to consider out of your comfort zone to be an exciting thing. Like, ooh, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be growing you know, I'm going to be learning something, you know, it's sort of like, and it's a, it's a learned skill. I think a lot of us consider our comfort zone, the only place we want to stay unless you're on a roller coaster. Do you like roller coasters? I have not been able to partake in a roller coaster in many years because I have neck issues. So oh, okay. I, I, <laughs> okay. That's bad example. For me, it doesn't work. How about, okay. How about something like, like skiing, Something that like really sort of thrusts you into an exciting sort of physical thing, surfing, sledding. I did go wakeboarding one time and that was to push two fears because I don't like being underwater. And because of all the neck issues, I have some hesitation about anything where I could get hurt any further. Okay. But one day I thought I'm going to forget about both of those and do it anyway. And it was fun. I got up one time, so, and I lived through it. So I'm all good. Right. So it was fun. It was fun. There was something exciting about it. I'm a big fan of getting out of your comfort zone, even though I don't like it and I'll fight it. Usually if I feel inside that I'm that hesitant, it's almost something that's pushing me to say, okay, you're scared of it. So you have to do it. Yeah. Right. Oh yes. There's a whole thing about like when you 
when you feel you can't, you must. You know, it's like one of those things. But that's, I suppose, attached to this notion that growing is something that is good for us, that makes us feel alive. You know, so I think it's inherent sort of to that. I don't often have comfort zone awarenesses. Maybe it's because I'm always slightly, slightly on edge, or maybe I'm always slightly like uncomfortable, just like, yee! Maybe it's, I'm always in a state of, of, of that. I'm not sure. Well, I, so I have a question because it seems like you always knew you were meant to be an actor. You've taken it very seriously in terms of you got your BA in drama from Dartmouth. You got a master's in acting at Temple University. And because I'm always curious about people who study creative endeavors in college, did that formal education give you a good foundation for your career or have you learned more of what you've needed to know through the experience of actually doing it? Ooh, that's a great question. I think I've learned different things. I think it definitely gave me a foundation. What it gave me, what school gave me and sort of the freedom that I experienced ultimately in a training environment, I was going to say an educational environment or a training environment, gave me sort of the spirit, the foundation of the spirit and the foundation of the creative. And to me, that's always sort of the source. That's always the the spirit. And I try to infuse no matter where I go, my performance or, or my entire being, my presence with that, with those ideas that I got when I was an undergrad or in graduate school or even in high school. In fact, all the way back to, you know, elementary school, that meaning of expression and connecting and moving people and hopefully being moved together. That's always been the foundation. And I, you know, when you get into the professional world or we get into the world where it becomes, uh, you know, about doing a job for somebody or doing something that somebody else wants you to do, then it sometimes is more challenging to hold on to that spirit. But it's always been really important to me. And that's what it's, that's always meant to me. And so in the professional world or in the post-educational environment, I've learned to sort of reconcile that spirit and that feeling with being in those other contexts, you know, if that makes sense, because I always have to feel integrated to be at my best. Yes, that whole balance thing that is important with pretty much everything we do. And it's because it's kind of contradictory. You hear a lot of times about people who study music or performance or things like that. They have to almost get away from their training because the training makes them too regimented. You think too much about what you're doing. And sometimes you have to just be in that moment and forget all of your training and just do what feels right. So you kind of have that balance of discipline and freedom. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, okay. Yes, yes, yes. I hear what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. It's so interesting because I, you know, I teach a lot too. And what I try to convey to my students, and I suppose the way that I look at training is I just have more tools of expression. I find, you know, so when I get a tool or when I become aware of, oh, I can use my hand to do this or my fingers to do that, then that becomes just another way to express with more intricacy or with more detail. You know, that, that sort of, I feel more empowered the more I learn. For me, more training and more knowledge creates more freedom because it gives me more room. It gives me more toys to play with. But I, but I can see what you mean, but absolutely that if something gets in the way or somebody discovers something like, oh no, I, that's not helpful. You know, I, I, or, or, okay, I got it. I learned that, but now I know what I, what I don't want to do, what doesn't serve me. You know, for me, it's it sort of, I, I keep it in the room in case I need it, you know? Kind of in the same line of thinking, how has your improv training played into all of the other things that you do? You do a lot of different things. I mentioned a few of them in my intro before you got on, but you do a lot of things and most of those are involving people and something artistic, but it seems like for me as more of a business person that improv would be helpful in a lot of areas that don't seem business related or don't seem interpersonal communications related, but that being able to think on your feet and be very quick like that, I assume that's translated into other areas of your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, improv, and I've taught improv too, and I try to convey this, has that foundation of a yes and their mindset, which means that things that you see, things that you experience, um, people that you meet, conversation situations, there's always a, yes, I'm going to embrace that and I'm going to add to it. In other words, I'm going to take 
what's happening, and I'm going to incorporate it. I'm going to welcome it, and I'm going to change what my idea was, and I'm actually going to use that thing rather than use that thing, that moment, that person, or that person's input as a, whoa, whoa, I was doing this. Hang on for a second. Use it as, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to be expanded by that. And we're going to create something together that didn't exist before. So it's a technical thing, but it's also a mindset thing. And I recently almost like likened it to a monkey too, you know, like a monkey going through, like the, like, like climbing through a tree, like those, like almost like flying monkeys. And they're, and they're getting someplace, but they're, they might be going in a, they might be grabbing onto this, grabbing onto that, swinging over there, but they're, but they're so used to grabbing that one thing that's in front of them and using it to, to where they want to go. And they created a, a path that they may not have memorized ahead of time. They don't know every single branch, but they're ready to grab it when it presents itself. And the idea is that if you say no, and when you're doing a scene with one other person and they ask something or do something and you say no, now you've shut it down. There's nowhere left for it to go. Yeah. And I think that is a mindset that a lot of us need because it's really easy to shut people down with a something very simple. If they're really excited about something and, and they get up the courage to tell you about it and you don't embrace that with the same level of enthusiasm, sometimes that one no, even if it's not the word no, it's just a perceived no, can completely shut people down and then they don't even ever try to do that thing again. And it's scary when that happens. Yes. Thank you for, yeah. Thank you for that. You know, being succinct incidentally is clearly not one of my, that's not one of my strengths. Um, and summarizing things. I just, I love that, you know, so it shuts the other person down. It shuts the situation down and it kind of shuts and puts a damper on the potential of creating something that neither, neither person had the idea of before. Like if you and I made up a story, we went back and forth improvising a story, we would get to an end that neither one of us could have imagined alone. And that's another part of, of what improv does. You can go ahead and you know, tell a story and, and get satisfaction out of it, and that's beautiful. And if somebody else comes along, yes, you're right. If they say no, yes, they're shutting you down, but they're shutting down the potential of that collaboration. So you never know if it's like, if you never take that road, you don't know where it's, you know, where it's going to lead. So being flexible and saying, yes, to the possibilities of any situation can be really important. Or in the times that we're in now, we can choose to see what's happening around us and, and see how we can, what we can say yes and to. Like what, what are the ways in which our current lives are, I was going to say serving us. I hesitate because that, that sounds sort of egotistical. I just mean like in what ways is it making us more aware or is it uplifting us or is it bringing us closer together or... Those are all versions of saying yes and of improvising. It is very much a mindset and you have to get into the habit of doing those things. And I always use an example in business where you can say, I am completely overwhelmed with all the things that I have to do right now. And that overwhelm kind of seems like a negative thing, but you can be overwhelmed. Yes. And I'm also very grateful that I have so many clients who need my help right now. There's ways where you can take the negative, accept that because it's valid to feel overwhelmed or stressed or whatever it is. So you accept that and you add something positive about that. And that starts that cycle of better things happening because you're not focused on the negative all the time. You're acknowledging it, but then counteracting it with something that's also good in that same moment. Yeah, I agree. You're, 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 you're accepting what is, which is a form of relaxing, right? In a sense, you're already going like, okay, I'm first of all, I'm going to accept this. And then you, you're shifting into a place of what, what amounts to gratitude or, you know, there's the thing about, you know, change your expectations to appreciations when things don't meet our expectations, we don't feel good. Like I often, I often focus from the neck down, you know, things that ultimately don't feel good, don't make us happy and therefore don't make those around us happy. And we're ultimately not making the world a better place or a, a more uplifted place. We're not making the same kind of choices if we don't feel good down here. So like you said, all those mindset issues help with all of that. You were raised in Switzerland. Do you feel that that's affected your career and your values as a human 
in the sense that you do have these same values as I do who grew up in the US, but I find that's a little too rare sometimes because people get really turned off by the idea of mindset because I, I think there are a lot of people out there who take it too literally with the idea of the law of attraction and this and that, where they say, if you just say out loud that you want $1,200, you can then go out in your mailbox and there's oh. going to be $1,200 right there. Oh, but yeah. it's not that, I mean, you still have to work really hard for it. But I wonder if growing up in a different place had any effect on you. Oh, yeah. And you know what's funny is like pre-COVID, I didn't use the word mindset much at all. Like I didn't even go like mindset. You could just say like attitude or feeling or whatever it is. I'm just talking about when I, when I reference mindset, incidentally, and then I'll get to Switzerland in a second. When I reference mindset, it's, it's particularly feeling that I'm at the wheel of my life. Like it, it has to do with choice. You know, that when I feel like, oh, overwhelmed, like, oh, like, that's just like, oh, like to me, that's like, I'm out of my mind set. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm out of my mind. Like I can't, or I, I feel out of control. So when I say like, oh, it's a, it's a mind, you know, it can be a mindset. It's more like a heart set, you know, all those, all those things, but you're absolutely right. You know, things take work and, but there's a lot that we can do in terms of how we sort of look at the world. There's a lot we can do in terms of literally and figuratively you know, facing a certain way. You know, there's all sorts of sayings about keep facing the sun and you'll never see the shadows. Not that you have can't see the shadows, that's okay, but it just means we have a certain amount of ownership over being at the wheel of our of our lives. I think sometimes it's easy to lose track of that. And if all we're doing at the steering wheel is just going like, I'm gonna choose right now to look at my cat who's being really cute and almost throwing over things on the table that you can't see, you can just do that. Oh. Oh, wow. Did you hear that? He literally he just called did that. It. He's a performer just like you. Imagine that. Right. And you just said, you can't manifest things right away. I just manifested. <laughs> okay. So maybe you're I'm welcome. wrong about that. Maybe you're wrong. So <laughs> about Switzerland. Oh, absolutely. I felt there was a completely different, or maybe I was making it up too, but there was a certain philosophical, cultural, um, political context that I grew up in that, uh, that I perceived as very different when I came to the States, you know? And interestingly, one of the things that hit me right away was when I went, I came back to the States to go to college, to go to Dartmouth. And then I remember specifically that there was this, it's interesting that we're talking about this right now. There was this like muscular, almost aggressive pursuit of like achievement and happiness fulfillment, you know, like go for it. And then here we are talking about like, hey, hey, it's a vibe. And I remember going like, you know, coming from this sort of, what I then perceived as sort of European, like skepticism or, or I perceived it more as like a sort of, like that's life. It's, it's not always this, because if you expect it to always be this, then what do you do with the in-between stuff? Or what do you do with the, I mean, shadows exist. Why, why are we talking about that? And just sort of a, why is it not okay? Why does, being a little melancholy or just, or being a little serious. Why is that reason to pull the emergency brake? You know, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you? It's this strange thing in America, because I think it's unique to this country, this idea that you have to hustle and people take pride in how busy they are. For me, the reason I left the corporate world was because I wanted to work less. I wanted to make more and work less. And that's what I do. And I'm very happy for that. But there are people sometimes that ask me, well, wouldn't you rather go back to a job job because there's more stability, there's more security in that, which I don't agree with at all. I think in the times that we're in now, those of us who do our own thing and do many things are better equipped to handle all the unknowns that keep happening, especially in a year like 2020. And so I don't ever look back at that, but there is that thing that only happens in America. All of my friends that I know in other countries, they think we're crazy for it. Why do you work so hard? Why don't you take breaks? Why is it such a negative thing to take time to yourself or be with your family? And that's in a pandemic when a lot of people were forced to I do see that a lot of people have used this time to reconnect with what's important. At least that's my hope in all of this. Yes. Yeah. With what's, what's important. I think whatever makes us feel alive, this idea that right, if we're not growing, then we're not growing or we're, we're, we're passing away. Or if a plant's not growing, 
it's it's I, I don't like to use the word it's you know it's dying, and I think maybe culturally, in you know maybe in this country, but it it could be happening in other places too. But there's a notion that that there might be a speed attached to the growing or an intensity attached to the growing or or you know some plants barely grow in size at all. They're just alive. They're just replacing their you know just replacing their cells, but they're still alive. So maybe it, I mean it's just important to be alive. But some of us, you know, grab onto this notion of growing and then we attach sort of measurements to it. Like, what does it mean to be growing? Do a little bit better tomorrow than we did today. But then we have to set those parameters. We have to tell ourselves, you know, well, what is that? And that's, that's where maybe the temptation of it's all well intended, but that's where that sort of that judgment comes in. And like, I got to do more. You know, once you start telling yourself, well, this is how I need to be growing. It's balance again. It's that balance. You have to be doing, but you also have to be not doing in equal measure. In equal measure. Yeah, sure. But, you know, I, but like, yeah, but I remember my grandma, incidentally, in Switzerland, you know, she was like, you know, she, she's gardening and she's retired and she was her own self. But when I, when I sort of contrast that to what you were describing, sort of this almost aggressive pursuit of, of doing and yes, I'm so busy. I'm like thinking, was my grandma miserable? She was, she was doing the same thing. Every day, she seemed. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't talk to her about these things. But man, it's a it's a big thing because we're busy. But I think we have to be aware of the really underneath of that. Like, if you stopped, what would you feel like? If you stopped for an hour or an afternoon or a day or a week? Yeah, it's almost a question of does that busyness fulfill you? So are you happy with what you're doing all the time? So being busy is exciting and fun for you, or are you busy doing things you don't necessarily love because you feel that you have to be productive at any given moment or you're somehow doing something wrong? It might come down to, you know, what you feel you need to love yourself or to think that you're, you know, all of us want to feel that we're enough. I think everybody wants to feel that, that we're enough and you know, survival aside, some you know some people listening or watching might be going like, well, you have to make you have to make a living. Yeah, you know I I understand that part. I'm just right. We're talking about that bigger, the bigger notion of if you did less or if you were sort of less busy, what would you be feeling? What would you be saying to yourself? Because it all starts with with what you're saying to yourself, right? Like feelings ultimately have to do with the story that you're telling yourself, the way that you interpret situations. So I think that's really that's really interesting. You know, it reminds me sort of like, you know, when you're at a, if you're at a bar or you're at a party or a, whatever, and there's a lot of loud music and lights and stuff. And then when you, when, when you leave or when it's over, or if you stay to the end, it, the con it feels all of a sudden you're not filled and it feels really empty. I'm sort of envisioning, you know, I'm sort of reliving things. Do you know what I mean? No. <laughs> oh, I see. Only, no, no. Only because that's... As an extrovert, that's 100% how you feel. As mm. an introvert, I feel agitated by the loud music and the sound. So when I get out of that, that's when I feel the relief. Not that I didn't have a good time being around the people. Oh, yeah. To me, when it's over, it's relief versus emptiness. And that's a big contrast between our different personality types. Not that one is right or wrong. It's just we process things in very different manners. Oh, I love that. Amanda. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I love that. Yes. I mean, I, I happen to feel like for me, it really, it really depends. I was, I guess, trying to reference, you know, those who, who feel the constant need to have that, to have the noise of busyness and sort of where that, if it's a fear of a fear of not being busy or if it's a true fulfillment of being busy. And I apologize. I did not yes and your question. I shut oh, you down you with did. a no. We just stop. <laughs> bad. Talk. Bad no, Amanda. No, no, no. Hey, by the way, to clarify, yes, I love that. To clarify, by the way, the yes and is that you don't have to say, you can still say no. You just have to accept the reality of what's being presented. So you did. That's fine. Yes. 
Well, so we've talked about it a little bit, but as a performer, you've obviously been affected by the pandemic. So how have you adapted and kept motivated when you can't be on a stage with a loving crowd all the time, especially because you get that energy from being with the people and being on stage and providing us as viewers in whatever format, because you've been in TV, radio, theater. Yeah. You're everywhere. You do everything. Yeah. 90% of what I did up to the slowdown or the emergency breaks being put on everyone, 90% of that went away because I was teaching in classrooms live and I was performing virtually full-time. I mean, I had a lot of day jobs, but you're absolutely right. I was, I was doing everything and, and not being able to do that physically at first, because we were in such crisis mode, I barely, I didn't really register it as much. You know, A, you're in crisis mode and B, it's like being in between jobs. You know, it didn't become real until maybe a month or two in. I mean, yes, it was weird. I was in the middle of, of directing something and that, um, and that stopped. And I was in the middle of rehearsing something and that stopped. So it was like, oh man. But it was, it was like a show being canceled, you know, at first. It was like, okay. But the reality of not being able to connect with people in that way live didn't really sink in until about two months, you know, March, April, like maybe this was the end of April. And, um, and I realized that that is something that I really, I feel really attached to sort of in my life. It, it, you know, strangely enough, speaking of being an introvert, I also dream about living in a, in a hut in the Swiss Alps, you know, just with my family or all by myself or, you know, I mean with them, but all by, our, all by ourselves. My son, incidentally, and this is a true story, like two days ago, we were playing the game of, it's kind of like the game of life, but you, it's called life stories. And you have these little cards and just say memories or stories and it said if you had all the money in the world you needed and you built yourself a home what would it be and your dream house and i was like oh it would be this old rickety hut in the swiss alps it, 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 I, I, it didn't even occur to me to go like oh i would have a mansion and with like waterfalls and trampolines and serve i was like it would be like a barn an old hay shack and so that was my that was my instinct but, but, and yet I've always sought out connecting to people live. And so I connected to different sort of workshops online and, you know, and, and, and things and, you know, for growing and, you know, professional and personal. And, and, you know, and I connected to Facebook groups and I started doing live videos, which brings us to your live videos, you know, being nervous about a live video. And I started doing a lot of that. And what's weird is that you just have your phone and you have stuff in the comments, but I suppose I began to make up a lot of that connection. And it's, and maybe it was filling a, I was going to say a void or a hole, but it was its own thing. And I taught some classes online and on Zoom and it's its own way of connecting, but a lot of it is filled in with the imagination. You sort of, you hope you're, you hope you're connecting. When I'm live, or even just looking at you, and I'm sorry, it's difficult to look into the camera because I want to connect with you, like here, the little cues, and the energy, and that awareness of like, okay, you're taking it down a notch, I'm taking it down a notch, now we're going together. Like you breathe together, then you laugh together, and then you, you, you feel in that. I think that's really important for humans to do whatever they can. I just, yeah. I think turning to the live videos was a good way because you have that need to connect and there are other things in place right now that make the usual ways of connecting not possible. So we have that choice again. Well, then do you stay in complete isolation and let yourself go into that bad place because you're not having any connection? Or do you accept that we can still connect, but it has to be through these computer boxes and it's not the same and there are delays and you're not quite getting the same experience. But for now, that's it's the best we can do. You just kind of have to make the best of it and keep searching for those positives because the, the alternative is too dark of a place. And it's a lot of people I know have gone there and I completely understand why, but you kind of have to do what you can to pull yourself out of it. And sometimes I think that's why I get a lot of value out of this podcast myself, because I get to talk to my friends about things that I find interesting, which because 
of just who I am. I'm not big on small talk. I don't want to ask about the weather or anything like that. I want to know who you are as a person. And this gives me that opportunity where it's not, for lack of better words, it's not the fluff questions. It's who are you? What makes you move? That's what's important to me. So I, I enjoy it. Oh my goodness. Oh, you have been, yeah, you've been putting me on the, you've totally been putting me on the spot. Like I'm like, I feel completely inarticulate. This is the first time in the pandemic that I felt like, oh my gosh. Uh, but I'm tearing up right now because it's, it's very moving because if we ask ourselves the right questions or if we ask each other the right questions, we can get to the issues together. And, and if the intention of those questions is coming from a, from a, I was going to say a loving place because that's, or a joyful place, but even if it's just coming from a constructive place or from an objective place or from a place where we intend to solve things together, I think we can really go far, you know, as two people hanging out or as groups or as a culture, as a society and as a world, you know? So I, 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 I tend to always take it. I'm terrible at small talk too, weirdly enough. Yeah. Five minutes into a conversation, I'm talking about other things. I can't, I can't keep it with just sports or something, not only because I don't know anything about it, but it's just like, I can't, I'll be like, Oh, what do you think those football players are feeling when they're, you know, I mean, it's a big deal for them to, you know, because it's like, stop it. Just talk about the play. I can't do it. Some people have felt to slow down, myself included. Um, I was really kind of overwhelmed and stressed before COVID hit with the five jobs and stuff. I don't, even though it might seem from the outside, I don't thrive on doing 17 things at a time. And I feel, but I, but I manifest it, right? I'm taking, I'll take ownership of it. I'll take responsibility for it, for sure. But putting on the brakes was, I mean, I know what it, where it came from and I'm super respectful and, and, and cognizant of that and, and things that happened and the things that continue to, to affect not just us as a, personally, but, but everybody, health, finances, and all other things that have been happening. But being alone is not the same thing as, as like feeling isolated, you know? Or taking a break and not, you know, not being out there was a breather for a lot of people. You know, some in, in the school system, some students started thriving in some ways being remote. Not all, but some. I was talking to the principal of my kid's school and some kids are really stressed out being live with people and it's allowed, it allowed them some space. Some of my students came out of their shells in ways that, that they may not have. Long-term, I think is a, that's a question, but it gave some people a breather too. But, but I think in the end, even when, we're, when we feel, okay, I need space, I think we still need to feel connected. I think nobody wants to feel lonely. Everybody wants to feel there's, other, there's others there that care. Yeah, you want to feel heard. You want to be acknowledged. Just know that somebody out there besides the cat cares about you. It's always a good thing. Yes. It's interesting in all of this because it's that dichotomy again, where some of us do really well alone and some of us, some of you <laughs> do better with people, but it's that where schools and other things are always trying to craft people into all learning the same way and the same thing. And that doesn't work because we're all so unique in how we learn and how we feel better about ourselves. And there, there's so many things that are so individual. And I've been fortunate, I think because my parents never forced me to be anything other than who I was. They were just supportive. I said, what do you want to do? Do that. Do your best. Great. But I was allowed to figure out who I am and I've been able to accept who I am, where some people still, and people have come around a lot lately, I feel, but there is that train of thought that introvert is negative. That means that we can't get ahead and we're undervalued and all of this stuff that it's not about being shy or not being assertive. It's about energy more than anything, but I do better on my own for the most part. And nothing is an exclusive. That doesn't mean I'm going to become that person that never leaves the house and is you know, collecting multiple cats and becoming that person. But cause, cause balance <laughs> always balance where it's same thing with an extrovert. Like you can't be on all the time. Oh God, no. Some people are very close, but they're, it's not an absolute at any point. And a lot of teaching, a lot of old techniques in business, in school, education, all of that has all been, let's put everybody in a box. And I think 
as we've grown and things have changed in technology and this younger generation is showing, no, we're going to be this one day and we're going to be this another day and it's all okay. We're going to be who we are and that's okay if I don't fit into that little box over there. That little box is boring. I'm going to be me, awkward and all. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, it's funny in all the years that we've, that we've known each other, I never even thought of you in any particular one, you know, one way or another. Of course, it's always, you know, I, I only experience you in the context of when we're, when we're together, you know, uh, when we're hanging out or when we're talking. Oh, but absolutely. And particularly now when the world is, has, has in some ways gotten so much smaller because of, you know, the internet and the way that we're aware. And I think people have the ability to, to seek out things that vibe with who they are or what they, what they, like to see or consume or, or to discover others who are sort of like, like them. I think a lot of that, you know, contributes to, I was going to say to, to an aversion, but to people's, to people's needs to keep unfolding themselves, you know? So it makes those, those processes that try to homogenize us uh, even less relevant and, and even more challenging if anybody tries to do it, you know? This is not related to any of this, but I just had this uh, remembrance or realization that one of the things that I worked with you on way, way back in many, many, many years ago was actually a podcast before I knew what podcasts were. Ooh. You did the Vegas and Five podcast for Vegas.com way back when. Unbelievable. And this was early, early on in the days of podcast and I had no idea what it was. So right. I just kind of put those together and how much things have changed since then. Oh my gosh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> when was the last time you thought about that? <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. Oh, that was a, that was such a, that was such a pleasure. That was, that was a real privilege to be able to do that. That was so fun. And I was just really Lucky. I don't know if they, is that where we met. No, that's not where we met. We knew each other before. Yeah, it was. It was through that production company. I I believe you came in for something. Okay. You you were always doing something. So that which is another question I have because you were in Blue Man Group. You were in Low Rev. You've done TV. I remember you being in an episode of Scrubs, which made me particularly happy because that's one of my favorite shows. But you've done so many different things. You were the lead in Hedwig and the Angry Inch when it opened in Vegas. A lot of diversity in what you've done. Do you have a favorite not maybe not a favorite thing you have done specifically, but if there is one, I'd love to know. But is there a favorite genre? Because you've done comedy, <laughs> you've done drama, <laughs> you do everything. That's right. I did the. I did this. Yeah, I did the Second City, which is improv and sketch comedy. I played music in in Blue Man, and I sang in you know in Hedwig, and and, I, and then I was a clown with uh, Le Rev, the Dream over at the Win, and then with Cirque du Soleil, and then I've done drama. You're right, comedy. Tragedy. I can't name my favorite child. I can't name my like. I can't name. It's hard for me to name my favorite child. But one of. But if we're talking about genre, like, I want to feel unfolded, like we all do. If I can expand in the work, that feels the best. You know, it's like it's like wearing clothes that fit better. You know, it's like oh, I, these clothes don't fit. Like I just gotta be me. So sometimes I feel like, you know, I mean, you saw every building thing that was, that was, I mean, at times, at times, um, uh, really funny. And then at times super serious and, and, uh, and tragic. So I want to be able to unfold. And, and I think it's interesting that the, that a lot of what I've done have been pieces that have allowed me to go to those different kinds of places. Like Blue Man could be alternately really funny and, and alternately really serious, you know? And you also couldn't talk during that. <laughs> And he couldn't talk. And it was all about, he couldn't talk at all. And it was all about, but it was all about connection. It always comes back to, to connecting with me. It always comes back to finding that inner, whatever it is, that inner heart feeling and expressing it in the hopes that it's, that it's connected, you know, like I'm, it's, it's always, I'm always in that headspace, whether I'm doing voiceovers or film or something, uh, rather than just, I'm just doing my thing and hope you're watching. That's never been it for me. I know that's a really roundabout way of saying it, but I'm trying to be as truthful as I can. 
as a viewer, I will put you on the spot again and make you, uh, I'll, I'll brag a little bit for you <laughs> because every brilliant thing was one of the most brilliant things I've seen. I went to see it because of you. I hadn't seen you in a while. You worked on it. Our friend John McClain did the audio for that. And we wanted to go see you in this play. Mm -hmm. I did not know it was an audience participation play, which is something that I have avoided since I was a child. Wow. My dad would tell you that when we would go to the fairs and the different things. I used to like to watch magicians, but the second one of them tried to bring me up on stage, I threw a tantrum and I, I do not want it. When I've been in any of those shows and they're looking for somebody, I am the person that will slouch down and not make eye contact because I don't want to be up there. However, what I noticed in that, not only the connection that I had, because a, it's a one man show. You carried the whole thing with the help of the audience and the music and everything else. There's this big story to it, mm -hmm. but you did connect everybody because we all felt that we were part of this story as it was unfolding. And the way I know that other than just how I felt specifically is that because you did give me that part that made me go out into the middle of the square and I had to propose to you in this, in this role. And uh, my friend Melissa had taken photos of it. And when I saw those photos, I didn't notice myself. I didn't notice you. I noticed the faces of everybody in the audience. They were so moved by it. Like it was such a touching moment as if it was actually a real moment. That is a hard thing for many people to connect in that way I'm not a person who has a lot of emotions necessarily. I'm very logical and I process things much differently. But I remember talking to Melissa about that show for weeks afterwards and how impactful it was. Yes. But everyone I know who saw it was moved by that. For you to be able to do that, make people laugh and cry and be happy and all of those things... That's a, a rare gift that not a lot of people have. So I'm glad that you embrace it in all these different ways. That's really sweet. That's really wonderful. You know, it's very moving to me because it's all I want to do is to connect and to feel like we're all in this together. And I suppose I could figure out, you know, how far back that goes, and my childhood or something, or what, you know, what motivates that. But no matter how how big or how small I get, I just, that sense that we're like, I, I envision just, everybody's just hugging and just, just, just hugging it out and just like being in that moment. Like I know that, okay, you know, some people are comfortable or whatever, but that's like, but my dream is that we've not literally necessarily that, that we just feel like we're all around that campfire. We're all around that fire. We're all huddled together and we're all, um, and when you, like you were saying to face the people around you and I, right. In that moment, the intention was to get everybody on a journey together so that when you were in it, when we were in the journey, just you and me doing, having a moment because you were playing a character sort of in an improvised way, people were with us because of the environment that I, but also we had created together. And everybody just wanted to be together. Everybody was leaning in together because, because they wanted to lean in together. Because that's really, we want to be in those intimate moments. Everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody wants to feel embraced. Everybody wants to feel that they matter. And which translates into, if people see an intimate moment, like, like you're drawn into this, this thing happening. I heard somebody recently talk too about like, you know, when you see somebody on the street and they're, they're yelling through a megaphone, you know, people are walking by, people walk by. But if you see two people really engaged with each other or two people like, you know, having a romantic moment, at a cafe or something. I'm not talking about like eavesdropping or like, mm, like creepy. I'm not talking about like, I'm just talking about like, you're like, oh, or you're like, oh, you know, like it's, it just draws you in. And we used to talk about that in Blue Man too. If you're having a real moment with somebody, a real intimate moment with one person or maybe with two people, an audience of 2000 people will be like, they'll zoom in on it. And I think the reason they're zooming in on it is not because there's a lot happening. It's because our hearts are discovering something that all of us would like to experience. It makes perfect sense because that's kind of what I'm hoping, again, looking for the positive in everything with the pandemic and with the increased isolation so many people have had, that when things do open up again and we can start being around people in regular situations again, that we pay more attention to how much that matters. Where it was easy before, it's easy 
in a lot of situations to take things for granted. When you're just used to doing things a certain way, it's easy to overlook the fact that that could go away at any time. This, I think, was a big eye-opening situation for a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And it even goes back to the busyness and all of that, because so many of us are taught that success equals money. And there is a level of that. Obviously, you need to be comfortable enough to live, to support your family if you have one, to do all of those things. But we forget about the value of time and how important that time is that if you're so busy and you're making all the money, but you never have any time to do the things you love with the people you love, is that really more successful? Then maybe you don't make as much money, but you have this whole quality of life with people and things that you really enjoy. Not to say that one's better or worse, because again, everybody's different, but I think it's let us think about time as a value as much as money. Some people think time is your most valuable asset. I mean, if I give you my time, I'm giving the most precious thing I have. And when you think about, I mean, when I, in you in the editorial, because all of us only have so much time, you know, only the universe knows, but but we take time for granted. And even though sometimes it can feel like a relative thing, right? Sometimes time goes by fast. Sometimes it goes by slow, but it's a thing that's a very limited resource. So, and when we, it's interesting when we take our time, a lot of us have reflected on what, on what not just time means to us, but what, what, what anything means to us. Well, you, I've always seen you as a family man. You have quite the creative family. Your wife is also multi-talented. She's a dancer and entrepreneur and your kids are into all of it. I saw your son, Jacob, playing a pretty dramatic role on that episode of Chicago Med. That's right. And apparently your cat is also creative. We learned earlier this episode. Sweet little dude. How is it seeing them grow up and wanting to follow in your footsteps in that way? Oh. The kids, not the cat. I... uh... Yes, the, the kids have the cat. Oh, well, well, Lucas, Lucas, uh, uh, and, and part of me is like, oh, thankfully. But then again, he's like, he wants to be an animal rescuer in the Amazon rainforest, in the Amazonian rainforest. Let's hope it's still around. But he also, he's, he's super creative and, and, he, and, he, and he dances really freely with his mom. And thank you for all those beautiful compliments and, and all that attention and awareness that you have uh, about our family. It feels like I'm giving him something. I'm not, you know, I know what the, the, the business is like or like life is like, you know, the life of a performer is, is, it can be so uncertain. It can be filled with, you know, again, ups and downs, lefts and rights. It's completely unlinear, but so is, you know, life a lot of the time and full of disappointment. You know, it's like you work really hard and there's a lot of stuff that doesn't seem like it's in your control, you know? So it, there's a, there can be a tendency to feel disappointed. So this, you know, you're always working on that. like. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. But, but if you graduate from maybe from medical school, you're not all of a sudden like, mm, yeah, you're not going to ever work. It's like you're like, oh man, I I did two operations this year. Oh, that was a good year for me. It's not, you know, but like with actors, it's kind of like, hey man, I got a job this year. It's like, mm, wow. So it feels kind of worry. In some ways, it's worrisome. I guess I'm saying, but in some ways, it feels beautiful because we, my wife and I, both are sort of imparting something, you know, and as, as a parent, you love to feel like you're, that you matter, that you've mattered. And, and I know there's lots of other ways that you matter, but there is something that's sort of inspired of ourselves that goes like, that's really cool. And you have something in common that you feel like, oh, I got something in common with my kids. Uh, it's cool. You know, it's in my family too, going back, you know, generations as well. At the time of this recording, you're about to launch your mastermind course, which is called Express and Connect. What is that about? Oh, well, it's it's about kind of what we're talking It's so interesting. I'm really, it's so funny. I'm just in that space talking about mindset. I'm sort of in that, in that space of, it's about finding your, it's about sort of finding your voice and getting it out and like connecting. And I know that we were just talking about that, but it's so, it's about that for me. And so really it's more that the course it was more like, oh, what can I do this course on? And it's what I've sort of really thinking about, almost like, you know, obsessed with recently about about this in this time of sort of isolation. So Express and Connect is about is about that. It's sort of a, it's the second part of the title is what is it? Be seen, be heard, felt, and remembered. And I I really feel that that is something that a lot of people want, and maybe some people struggle with. And so I know that for me. And I've sh- I don't know if I've shared this with you yet, but I share this, you know, um, I struggled with depression when I was in college and, and found the theater 
which kind of, even at the time felt that kind of saved me. Cause even before the theater, I was like, I just want to connect with people and move people. And, um, and then the theater kind of saved me. But then when I went to graduate school, I had another dip and I was on probation for, for not being vulnerable and not being open. Yeah. It's, it's it, in retrospect. And then I, to the point where like the acting teacher, I remember I was in a scene where, where my scene partner was crying, you know, it was a scene from the seagull and it was this tragic scene between a couple and, and, and it was, they were, they were almost breaking up. And, and my acting teacher was like, Marcus, she's on the floor. She's crying. Do something, you know, feel something. And he was yelling at me, bless his heart. And my, my voice and speech teacher would like shake my upper body, like relax, relax. And she would like shake me because I was so tense and afraid to express myself. I couldn't make any choices. It was awful. I was like this. And then it was amazing. People make fun of it to this day. And finally I did this monologue during where we could do any performance art piece. And I was like, you know what? And I said, fudge it, fudge it. I had this like fudge it moment. And I did a monologue from Caligula, which I don't know if you know the play. It's about this horrific Roman emperor and it's, it's terrifying and it's, he's, he's cruel. And, and so, and I, and I came bursting into the room to a song by Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. I did one arm push-ups. I was smoking a cigarette butt. I, I, I flipped the cigarette butt into my mouth and I just had this, just this like three minute expression extravaganza. And it's what kept me in graduate school. And I've noticed ever since then, that same teacher who yelled at me said, you know, that's what kept you in the program. And then it put me on this path. And I've noticed that every time I'm able to fully express myself in, with the intention of connecting with others and making and, and sharing our hearts with each other, that's when sort of life happens. That's when life comes back and happens sort of for everybody, myself included, my family and everybody around, around me. And the times when I'm not, it doesn't. And then I ended up, you know, one of my last jobs was just being a clown in Cirque, just by myself on a stage, you know, just being present and sharing who I was. And so whatever context that somebody might be in, whether it's a live Instagram video or whether it's, you know, talking to your family or whether it's being a, being an actor in front of 2000 people, if somebody can find a way to express their voice, their story, their message and connect with others so that they feel heard and seen and felt, then it will give other people, it will uplift everyone, but it will give other people a permission to do the same. And I think that will serve, I think that will serve everybody. So that's my hope with this course. I wish that was the advice I had been given in my high school theater class. All I remember from that is the teacher yelling at me to project because my voice does not carry. I have a little tiny voice. I lose it very easily. When they say talk like somebody's on the other side of the room, I think I am. So I, I shifted and I did tech theater instead because I can build stuff. So that, that, that was my solution to that. Oh, oh my goodness. But that was your solution that just talk louder. But, but, but you know, it seems like what it, but is that amazing? Cause what it, what it might've said to you, I'm just suggesting it may have just said to you, you're not enough, right? That your voice wasn't enough somehow. Perhaps subconsciously. I'm just making this up, but it was like, oh, just talk louder. If you can find that need to express that, whatever it is, if you have that, and let's say you, you want to act enough or you, you have to look, I, I like to say like, look inward, feel outward. Turn inward to find where that seed is of then wanting to express that. And you want to get to the back of the house. You want to be there. That's what you want to say when you want to say it. And the only way to say it is to take that deep breath in. And then I probably hit the, the red again. And then say it to the back of the house. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? But yelling at me to project was not an effective way of- Right. That's not the effect. No. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I go back, I would put you, uh, you know, I would, we would sit down, we would have a conversation about what, no, I mean, which just brings you back to the Instagram. You were talking about an Instagram video and how nervous you got about Instagram video. Can I put you on the spot and ask you a question? Sure. And maybe we're close to out of time. I'm not sure. But when you get nervous or when you feel something before going live on Instagram, where do you feel if you put your hand on what doesn't feel good, what part of your body would it be? Would it be your, your forehead, your Physically, my heart pounds. I can hear it in my earphones. Oh, gosh. 
Okay. It's a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. I do have a tendency to overthink things and it definitely applies to that. I think it's the connection of that. I overthink things. It goes back to the wanting to not necessarily be perfect, but also not wanting to be completely out of my element. <laughs> so, right. and it's, and, but I don't know what it is because it even happens. Like I said, before I do a podcast with somebody I've known for years, I'm not at all nervous about talking to you. I'm not uncomfortable about it, but when I sat down and I get the mic out, everything starts beating faster. And I just feel like I need, I have to breathe and sort of calm myself before I start speaking. And I, yeah figured it out yet? I have not yet figured out why that happens. I would imagine it has something to do with sort of a, a, a low-grade fear of consequences, right? You're, you're, you're somewhere other than the present. You're somewhere other than having really digested what it is, where, sort of where you're at, and there's something getting in the way of, of you being able to sort of express yourself freely or to sort of be yourself and then just let out whatever's going to come out. And having that sort of faith, we were talking about improv, having that faith that whatever comes out is going to be welcomed with a yes and. Because we all want somebody to embrace what we have to say or do or feel what we're putting out. We want somebody to go like, that's beautiful. Let me, let me, oh yeah. Well, I'll be, and let me give you something right back because I'm so grateful for what you just, what you just shared, you know? Yeah. It's a weird thing. It's a weird disconnect because again, I don't feel nervous, but my body tells me otherwise. And that's the part that I don't like. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's something, or it's a habit, or it's so, it's it's a it, it's something that's that's if you feel like changing it, there's there's got to be a way, you know. Like there could be technical things. Like imagine, you know, beyond the camera is your best friend, and only your best friend, or your mom, or your dad, or your, your anybody that you love, and that's who you're talking to at all times. Or or imagine the audience in pajamas. Or, you know what I mean? Just like to relax, you're like, oh, you're, you're all in pajamas. So here I go, whatever. Like little physical tricks for stage fright, right? But on a deeper level, I think we, we all just want the world to yes and us. But it takes faith and like you said, courage. And then the experience that it might be happening, but then it becomes a loop, I think. It becomes like this, what I call like, a, like your confidence will come from competence, but you have to take the action first and then it becomes this loop. Okay, just, you just gotta find a way to say the right things to yourself and do your brain into your heart, take the action and do it. Oh, wow, I did that. And then praise yourself, allow yourself to be kind to yourself, love yourself enough to take that in. That'll build your confidence. And then, I don't know, maybe that heart pounding will go away. If you want it to. That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> if you had one piece of advice for other creatives out there who want to make it on their own, what would it be? The first thing that came to my mind, which is probably what my heart would say is, Permit yourself to not give up. I want to. I, I don't want to say don't give up because that's because if somebody wants to stop, I would give them permission to. There's a lot of people out there who go like, you know, if there's anything else you could possibly do, don't even worry about. Like, have you heard those? It's too much. Don't even. I'm like, no. If you feel like doing it, even for a while, then do it. But keep on trying to, you know, check in with yourself and see if it's really where you want to head. And then there's always a way. No matter what, my, my path was very circuitous and it, it, it continues to be very, very twisty and turny. And it's been, been really sort of improvisational. And I've always knew something that fed me. And so I would be attracted to that and head in that direction. The things that were sort of, that were meaningful to me. So that's why I said, like, give yourself permission to, to not give up on that, on that dream. Figure out what it is that, that lights you up. You know, the thing that, I'd say the thing that feels good from the neck down, head towards that and keep finding a way to turn towards what feels good from the neck down. All the, you know, the thoughts and that's great. And the analysis of things, that's great. Um, but there's a lot of ways to, to live your life and to create your path anywhere, but particularly in the, in the arts and creative professionals. But what's important is that, that it feels good in your whole self. And I think, you know, I forget her name in the meantime, but she was a life coach to Oprah Winfrey. Oh my goodness. Beck was her last name. And I heard something, it's indirectly a story. And she had this whole thing of if something doesn't feel good, like literally in the sternum area, like right where the ribs meet, she would say no to something, an opportunity or, or an offer or whatever, or a conversation. She would literally shut it off. She's like, nope, 
not doing it. This came and it came after an illness that she overcame. And so she was just like, you know, I can't do anything that doesn't, that's not right for me. So, and I'm not saying don't be compassionate to others and all that. It's not, a, I'm not talking about a selfish thing, but if we, if we can find that light and that, and continue to follow that, that will make us make choices that are positive and healthy for us, inspire others to do the same. And the choice that we make will also serve and inspire and uplift others and make us be hopefully lovely people to be around. And that'll create your life and your career, I hope. Well, you are a lovely person to be around. Uh, where can people find you out in the social media world and elsewhere? Oh, okay. I, I'm Marcus Jacob Weiss on Facebook. I am the Marcus Weiss Experience on Instagram. And I am also the Marcus Weiss Experience on Facebook, but I haven't, I barely just sort of started that or, or I haven't been feeding that, but I probably should. Oops, there we go. Uh, I, I, yeah, I need to get to that. So if you look at that, you know, like the page, stuff is coming soon. On the Marcus Weiss experience. And then I'm also on mastermind.com. I have the Express and Connect class up there right now. It's a live group, uh, one-time session for now. And that's it. I would give my phone number if that was appropriate, but just message me anytime. Oh, sorry. Wait, I forgot. I'm on Twitter, but I, I don't almost, I never use it. But you're there. I'm there on Swiss Marcus. It's Swiss Marcus. That's how, it's a totally different name, irrelevant, but I'm on Twitter too. Thank you again for your time. It's always fun to talk to you. Thank you. It's beautiful to talk to you too. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it, man.